Awesome. Hey, if you want to open up your uh, open up your Bibles, if you brought one, or I hope you did, open them up to John chapter nineteen and twenty. We're going to look at a few pieces of Scripture this morning. While we're getting there, I do want to tell you, uh, Heather and I, along with uh, along with Lucy, we spent the last couple days in Charlotte, North Carolina, hanging out with my sister and Eric, and their new baby is just so good, just so good. It's cool to see somebody like have a kid who's been waiting for it for like 10 years, you know? It's incredible. So, It's amazing. Come on. Uh, name of the baby is Phoenix Bravery Hurchin. How's that for a name? Don't you all feel guilty for naming your kids such lame things now? Yeah. yeah, Phoenix Bravery. Yeah, wouldn't you want to have that name? Yes. Especially like the bravery part. Wouldn't, wouldn't you, I mean like, I'm like, wouldn't you want to have your name be brave? That'd change your life forever, wouldn't it? Mm. Awesome. Man, Jesus is here, you guys. It's so much, church is so much better when Jesus comes. I've done it without him. That just is really lame. Yeah. Yeah, resurrected Jesus, we just, we just invite you to reveal yourself more to us. Even, even right now, Father, we, we just want to have an encounter with you. Father, I ask that you would deliver us from uh, just uh, religion and repetition. And God, would you deliver us from all of our expectations of what uh, Easter Sunday should be. And God, would you deliver us from uh, just about, just about uh, checking out over how good we look or don't look or whether we got the Easter eggs just right. And Father, would you allow us to have an encounter with your resurrected spirit? God, would you just come and walk among us, even now? Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's look at a few scriptures here in John chapter 19. We're going to kind of skip across a couple chapters this morning, and I feel like the Lord has some things for us. We'll begin in John chapter 19, verses 16 and 18. John records this for us. I wrote the wrong things down. I'm sorry. My bad. You got the right thing. I wrote the wrong thing down, okay? No, no big deal. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull called Golgotha, and here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side of Jesus, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Sorry, Seth, I, I'm the one who gave you the bad reference. That's my fault. You did great. I want to start on Friday. This is we're going to begin on Friday and we'll work our way we'll work our way up to Sunday, okay? So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Uh, you see, God created the world in six days, and then he recreated the world in three days. <clears throat> That's what happened. So, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, God recreated the entire order of how things work in the, in the universe. And it begins on Friday. And here's what I want to tell you about Friday. The thing I want to tell you about Friday is, Friday is a really dark day, and Friday is a horrible day, and Friday is like the saddest day, and Friday is a gruesome day, uh, Friday is a, is a painful day. Um, 
Friday is the most unfair day in all of history. There was never, there was never a more unfair moment than when Jesus, the perfect son, was crucified. And um, not only that, but Friday was a day that was filled with fear. And it was a, a day filled with suffering. And it, it, was, it was so dark that even, even the clouds, they just they rolled in when Jesus was being crucified. And it was a prophetic picture of, of what the whole day was. These clouds, they just rolled in, covered up the sun. And, um, but one of the things for us today is this, is, is that in between, in between the beatings and in between the blood and in between the suffering flowed the great love of Jesus. It, it, was, it wasn't just the love of Jesus, but it was the love of God. Right in, between, right in between all the pain and all the darkness and right between all the beatings, mixed with all of it, is, is the great love of God. Um, it, it's sometimes hard for us to get a picture of because we can just read it in print. And sometimes the things we read in print, especially the things we're really familiar with, we become, um, we become, we become desensitized to it. Sometimes the very scriptures that can set us free become, become localized anesthesia on our heart when we become too familiar with them. And so, we, so it's easy for us to pass up exactly what happened. But here's what happened. See, Jesus was stripped naked which would have been just the most humiliating thing ever. You know, it's, it would be humiliating for you or I, but it would have been even more humiliating for him in his day. Nakedness was just such a big no-no. Like, people didn't wear bikinis back in the day. And they stripped Jesus naked, and, they, and they, then they punched him in the face, okay? And they didn't just punch him in the face, but then they pulled his beard out. Anybody in here ever had a beard? Anyone ever, anyone ever gotten their beard, like, caught in a zipper and just... <laughs> Yeah, pulled his beard out. And then they didn't, they didn't just do that. They didn't stop there. Then they, after, after they got him naked, they stretched him, they put him over, a, they rolled him over like a stone. They stretched him out over a, a big rock. They took a cat of nine tails and they just, they beat him with it. And the cat of nine tails has glass in it and just, it pulls all the flesh off your body. And they beat him until it was right down to the, to his, till you could see the, see his ribs. And then, then, if that wasn't enough, they said, well, you know, stand up, Jesus. We want you to carry this cross. So they put these two heavy beams on him, and they, they send him up a mountain. And the mountain actually looks like a skull. And because he was so fatigued from the, from the beating, he's not able to carry it. And so they give his cross to someone else. And then when they finally get to the, to the top of, the, of, the, of this mountain called the skull, they, they nail him to the cross. And Jesus doesn't even fight back. And the reason he doesn't fight back is because no one takes his life from him. He gives it away. But not only that, the reason he doesn't fight back is because even if he wanted to fight back, he couldn't. He's just, he's just so fatigued. Even the king of glory gets fatigued. And they, and they have giant, giant nails, and they nail them through his hands and through his feet. And, we, and we're kind of familiar with that. But you know, it's easy for us to lose, lose detail of the shocking value of what was going on. Has anybody here ever built like a barn? Any, any, any farmers? Anybody know what a pole barn nail looks like? Just, you know, like a rim shank pole barn nail right through his wrist, and he doesn't even, can't even fight back. And then not only that, they, when they decide to raise his cross up, Jesus doesn't have like a special spot, you know? They don't, they don't put Jesus in the special spot where the king of glory goes. They just put him right between two thieves, like a murderer and a thief, and Jesus is right in the middle. And it's just a shocking, shocking, horrible day. And here's the worst part. The worst part of all this is, even worse than the brutality, even worse than the pain, and even worse than the drama 
is the fact that Jesus was absolutely innocent. Absolutely innocent. He had never sinned, never sinned. He had never spoken a word from a poison place in his heart. Imagine that. I know for me, lots of the words that I come, that come out of my mouth, they come from a real poisonous place in my heart. Even if no one else can detect it, I know. Jesus never spoke a word from a poisonous place in his heart. Everything he ever spoke was from a place of love, from a place of obedience. Jesus was innocent. It's what made this whole thing even worse. He's the most innocent guy ever. Like, he's the most innocent guy in the universe. There's never been a baby born, 30 seconds old, who was more innocent than Jesus was when he was 33 years old, nailed to a cross. That's what makes it so horrible. It's just, it's absolutely horrible. In short, it's injustice. It was absolute injustice. And, and, and then the thing that makes it even worse than that is that every bit of the pain, every bit of the humiliation, and every bit of the injustice, it wasn't his, but it belonged to me. It didn't belong to him. It belonged to me. Like, why did they nail Jesus to the cross? Because of, they, they nailed Jesus to the cross because of me. They nailed Jesus to the cross because... I'm the one who sometimes speaks words from a poison place in my heart. That's why Jesus was beat. That's why Jesus suffered. Because I'm the one who has poison running through my veins. That's why Jesus got nailed down. And so he, took, he takes pain. He takes beatings. He takes a cross. He carries it all. And the reason he does is because he loves me. It's all because of love. No one, no one could ever do what Jesus did. And here's the thing about the love of God. And this is one of the things we get on Friday. It's like this really horrible, dark, brutal day. And at the same time, it's glorious because it's, it's a picture of the love of God. Nothing's bigger than the love of God. All the sin in the world, not bigger than the love of God. All the pain that Jesus suffered, not bigger than the love of God. Jesus never pulled his arm off. He could have. He never pulled his arm off. He, 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 he held it right there. And the reason he held it right there is because God's love is so much bigger than pain in the moment. God's love is so much bigger than, than the weight of sin. It's, it's so much bigger than anything that I've ever done, anything that you've ever done. He did it all because of love, because he has great, great love. You know, occasionally people do crazy things because of love, right? Occasionally, occasionally people like, what, like move across the country because of love, right? Isn't that right, Aaron? Holla. Hmm. People do crazy things because of love. Sometimes they, sometimes they move across countries. Sometimes people will go into debt because of love. Anybody here ever gone to debt because you just love somebody? Holla. Yeah, sometimes people will, like, sometimes because of love, people will give up a kidney or maybe give up a little bone marrow. Anybody in here ever given up a kidney or a little bone marrow? Or something like that? Man, I wanted, I wanted another holla. Thanks, Richard. And occasionally, beyond giving up a little bone marrow or an extra kidney, occasionally somebody actually will die for someone else. Occasionally. It's, it's not common, but it's Rarely, occasionally somebody will give up their life for someone else. But it doesn't even begin to compare to Jesus. And here's the reason it doesn't even begin to compare to Jesus. Because Jesus didn't give up his life for one person. He gave up his life for billions of people. 
And he didn't give up his life for the good people. He gave up his life for everybody. Like he gave up his life for dictators. He gave up his life for murderers. He gave up his life for people who would never acknowledge his goodness. He gave up his life for people like me who have poison hearts with poison veins and sometimes speak words from that poisonous place. So Jesus did it for everyone. He didn't do it just for Mother Teresa. Jesus also did it for Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and Adolf Hitler. I mean, isn't, I mean it's, it's really shocking. Just, just for everyone. His love is so great. Not only that, the reason that it, it's so, the reason that Friday is so huge is because Jesus is being punished for the sins of the entire world. And he's the only person who's ever felt the weight, not only of, of one person's sin, but all of humanity. Like, I know what it feels like to carry my own sin around, and, and some days it's just crushing. Some days, like, some days the weight of my own guilt and shame is enough to keep, make me want to stay in bed. And then all of that, times billions through history, got laid upon Jesus. And so this crushing, asphyxiating weight of sin just came upon him. And again, the worst part is, he was innocent. So Friday's just horrible. But on the other side of it, Friday's really great, because it's a really great picture of who our God is. Our God is the great God of love, who's more than willing to lay down his life for people who don't deserve it. Not only that, but... Our God knows, and this is what we get from Friday. It was we, get, we get this picture of the fact that our God knows what pain is about. See, we don't have a God who lives in an ivory tower, who gives out orders and receives service. We have a God who comes near, who lives life, just like you guys do, just like I do. He, he lived life sequentially in time. But not only that, he lived life so, so vivid and so in the moment that he knows what pain is about. And that's what Friday is about. It's one of the reasons that I love Jesus so much is... Jesus knows what pain is about. He knows what suffering is about. He knows what heartache is about. He knows what disappointment is about. He knows what it's like to be humiliated. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Like one of his best friends sold him out for 30 pieces of silver and gave him a kiss in front of everyone else when he did it. Like anybody ever been betrayed? Like Jesus actually knows what it's like. Anybody here ever been hurt? Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to suffer with with, with sickness. P- Jesus, knows what it's like. Jo- Jesus knows what it's like to be, to, be, to be brutalized and to be abused. You know, uh, there's a few hundred of us here this morning, and I'll guarantee you that more than a dozen of us have significantly uh, experienced significant abuse in our life. Uh, and some of us in here have abuse that we've never told anyone else about, not even our closest friend, not even our mate. It, it haunts us. It's a skeleton in the dark. And only on our most uh, most secret moments do we allow ourselves to even go there and occasionally maybe we just get absolutely absolutely drunk and we and we just kind of go to that moment and and this it's secret and it's hidden but there's a person who knows exactly what that abuse is all about because he he's the kind of person who received that same abuse he's the kind of person who'll walk with you through the darkest trenches that's what friday tells us jesus jesus knows what it's about He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows about sadness. See, our God knows. He was even crucified between two criminals. So if you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been afraid, if you've ever been abused, 
If you've ever been in danger and if you've ever been talked about, you're in good company because it's exactly how the Lord was treated. But the story doesn't stop on Friday. It continues on a Saturday. And in John chapter 19... Verses 38 through 42. This is what it tells us. It says, Later, meaning after Jesus was crucified, really awesome thing happened. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Jesus brought, uh, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about, uh, and about 75 pounds of it. Taking the body of Jesus, the two of them wrapped him with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was, it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the, body, and since the tomb was nearby, nearby they laid Jesus' body there. So here's what happened. Joseph of Arimathea one of the secret heroes of the scripture, and Nicodemus, they go and they talk to Pilate about the body, which means that they were people of position. They actually could have gone and had an audience with the big boss, and they take the body down, and they wrap it up, and they spice it, and they lay it in a tomb. And after they wrap Jesus' body up, and they prepare it for burial, and they get it laid in the tomb, uh, Jesus stayed there, and he didn't move. And he didn't breathe, and he didn't twinch, and he didn't flinch, and he didn't wink, and there was nothing all day on Saturday. Jesus was stone cold dead. Like if you had gone in the, in the tomb with Jesus on Saturday, you wouldn't have heard a thing. Jesus wasn't asleep. He wasn't acting. He wasn't faking. He wasn't in a trance. He was dead. All day Saturday. He was stiff as a plank. About six weeks ago, my, my dog got hit by a car. Killed him. It's awful. I, knew, I didn't even like that dog. And it's pouring down rain. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. And I go out and I bury that dog. And I pick Toby up, and he's stiff. And I dig the hole, only I dug it maybe a little too small. And I had to squeeze his stiff body into the hole. But I got him in there. Here's the worst part. I'm crying over a dog I didn't even like. You know? And his little puppy paws were just as, just as stiff as can be. <laughs> On Saturday, if you had gone in and grabbed Jesus' hand, tried to raise it, it would have fought you because he was stiff. He was stiff as a board. He was a plank. He was dead. 
There was nothing happening. Some people wept for Jesus on Saturday. His disciples were hiding out because they were nervous. Other people went on with life. They cooked dinner. They hung out with the in-laws. They pitched football with the kids. But not Jesus because he was dead. (laughs) Ray knows where I'm going with this. Not moving. Jesus wasn't in a coma. He was dead. And he predicted this even. In, uh, In John chapter 12. In John chapter 12. Jesus predicted that this was what was going to happen. Jesus says in verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his, hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, God has a way of growing a crop. And God's way of growing a crop includes death. God has a way of expanding and multiplying. And sometimes the way that God expands and multiplies is in death. See, on Saturday, it looks like nothing is happening. It it looks like nothing's happening. Like Jesus is not breathing. On Saturday, it it looks like all hope is lost. It looks like no, it looks like nothing's happening. And when Jesus was laid into the tomb, it's a prophetic picture. He's... It's a prophetic picture of what he had already said in John chapter 12. Jesus is that seed, and he is planted into the ground. And it's a prophetic picture, seed going into the ground. The earth always speaks of humanity. And so Jesus' body was laid into the tomb. It was laid into humanity. And on Saturday, it appears that nothing has happened. But has anyone ever raised a garden in this room? Anyone ever planted a garden? Anyone ever planted a seed? You plant a seed, you get the rows all right, you poke them in. And then you come out the next morning and what happens? Nothing. Nothing's happening, right? It's not exactly the way it works. And Jesus is telling telling us about how the kingdom of God often works. See, God has a way of growing a crop and it includes being planted right into the middle of the problem. Jesus was planted into humanity. He was planted right into the ground. Oftentimes, the way that God deals with expansion, it comes through death and oftentimes God will plant us right in the middle of the problem. Not only that, but oftentimes God's method for expanding and growing something in us involves being covered up. It involves hiddenness. It involves the appearance that, quote, nothing is happening. It involves silence. It, it, it involves us having to, having to take our life and, and the results and putting our life and the, the hoped for results and placing it into the hands of God. See, Jesus, Jesus placed his whole life and all of the results into the hands of God. Where does, where does, where does multiplication happen? Where does, where does something great really happen? Where does resurrection happen? Resurrection power only touches us to the extent that we're willing to take our life and the results and hand them into, the, into God's hand. Place them into God's hand. When Jesus was in the tomb, he was planted under the, under the ground. And when he was planted in the ground, he, it, what happened was no longer up to him. It was up to his father. See, Friday is brutal, but Saturday is gut-wrenching because nothing's happening. And there's so much tension in Saturday. There's so much tension in Saturday. Friday is brutal. 
Saturday is gut-wrenching because nothing is happening. And because we know the story, we know the story that Sunday is glorious. But between brutality and glory, there's this tension place, and it's Saturday where nothing is happening, where we have to trust our whole lives and place them in the hands of God. And one of the things that, that, that God tells us on Saturday is, just give me your life. Just give me your life. See, in, in the processes of God, it's often the darkest moments just right before the sun comes up. In the processes of God, oftentimes He does the most when it appears that the least is actually happening. So we live in a world that wants everything to happen immediately after we put the ball rolling. But oftentimes with God, He says, come and die. Trust your life and the results to me. Place your life and the results in my hands. And oftentimes when we make that exchange, we're hoping for the immediate return. But oftentimes what we do is we go through a season of Saturday where nothing is happening. Where it's actually darkness. Where it appears like there's no progress. And we call our friends on the phone and we say, will you please pray for me because it's not working. Will you call the intercessors? It's not working. Call up the intercession team. We need to fast. It's not working. We need a battle in the spirit. It's not working. But in the process of God, oftentimes when it appears nothing is happening, oftentimes when it's the absolute darkness is when the most is being accomplished. Not only that, but Saturday tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to live in tension. Jesus knows what it's like to have a brutal Friday and a glorious Sunday and to be caught right in the middle. Anybody in here ever feel like your life is completely caught in the middle and it's all out of your hands? Like God, said, he, God is not the kind of God who sits in an ivory tower and goes, wow, look at my children. They're caught, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They're caught between the worst thing and the best thing. They're caught having no idea what to do. They're caught with no options, and I really enjoy it. Look at them squirm. See, that's not who God is at all. God is the kind of God who is willing to live in the tension. See, even now we live in the tension. Jesus has been resurrected. We are one day going to receive the full payment of His resurrection. Sometimes we pray for people and they get instantly healed. Other times we pray for people only to, only to go to their funeral three weeks later. I've done that. Jesus knows what it's like to walk in the tension. And the good news is, is that Jesus has experienced a Saturday and we have a faithful friend who will walk through Saturdays with us. See, the good news is, is, that, is that the scripture calls Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus wasn't just Emmanuel when he was born. But Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, when he lived. And Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, on Friday when he was totally beat up and suffered and was humiliated and in the pain. See, Jesus is with us in the pain. And Jesus is also Emmanuel, God with us, when, quote-unquote, nothing is happening and everything has gone silent and dark. Now I want you to look at John chapter 20, verse 1. And early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter 
and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. I love what it says in chapter 20, verse 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. See, in the darkest hours, God raised Jesus up. See, Jesus didn't get up when the sun came up. Jesus got up in the dark. I love that. It tells us how God works. Oftentimes, God works in the darkest places. Oftentimes, God works when, when everyone else is asleep. God time, oftentimes, God is at work when we're asleep. See, some of the greatest things that God ever does are the ones that you and I have absolutely no control or part in and just happens. God is at work in the dark and he's at work in the pain and he's at work in the silence and to the extent that we surrender he is free to work in our lives. To the extent that I surrender he's free to work in my life. He's at work in the dark. And the reason that there was no one in the tomb and the reason that Mary Magdalene went nuts and started running all over Jerusalem is because he was raised up. And he was raised up on Sunday. And when he was raised up, here's the thing we need to get clear. Jesus wasn't a ghost. He wasn't an apparition. And he wasn't a fairy tale because a little bit later on in the Gospel of John, when he goes and walks through a wall, I love this. The new part about Jesus is, like after you face death and you get resurrected, you can walk through walls. So he walks through the wall. I know how scary would that be, right? If Jesus walks through the purple wall right here, we all think he's a ghost, right? Except when he walks through the wall, he looks at his guys and he says, hey, I'm hungry, who's got some fish? Anybody in here ever read that part and thought, what is that about? Like, what is this detail about? The detail is, the detail is there because uh, the gospel writer and the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us Jesus is not a ghost. He can walk through walls, but he is not a ghost. His body remains. It's one of the key parts of resurrection. One of, the key, uh, one of the key things that God is saying in the resurrection of Jesus is, is that your body and this planet matter to me, and I will not let them go. See, a lot of us have a theology that says, uh, we're bad. Everything we do is bad. We're all bad. The planet's bad. I'm bad. Everything is bad. But the good thing is the spirit, and the good thing is heaven. That's terrible theology, because God raised Jesus up. And when Jesus got up in his body, it was changed, but it remained the same. And one of the things that God is saying is that your body, I intend to make it last forever. This planet, I am not going to burn it up in a ball of fire. You know, a lot of us have this theology that, that one day God's going to burn the planet up in fire and that we're all going to get raptured up into heaven somewhere. That's terrible theology. He's not going to do it. If he was going to do that, he wouldn't have raised Jesus' body up. He would have sent, sent this great spirit of Jesus around everywhere. But he didn't do that. Today matters. My body matters. The decisions that I make matter. The planet matters. God's creation and his plan matter. And he raised Jesus up. So Sunday is a day of life. And Sunday is a day of resurrection. And in addition to Jesus' resurrection, placing importance on the planet and in addition to Jesus's resurrection placing importance on my body and on the plan of God Jesus's resurrection speaks one thing louder than anything else and it speaks this it speaks that there's always hope that's what the resurrection really means the resurrection means that there's always 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 hope 
It doesn't matter how bad things get. It doesn't matter how dark things get. It doesn't matter how dead we are. There's always a chance that things are going to change and become the exact opposite. The resurrection means that, that, we, can, that we can have a, a real and living hope that the really, really ugly things in our lives can change. That's what the resurrection means. It means that all the really, really secret, ugly stuff in my life can change. It means that all of our addictions can change. It means that all of our sins can change. It means that, it means that all of our marital discord and all the ways that I secretly, uh, I secretly am holding unforgiveness against people who live across town, it means that all of that can change. It means that, it means that, uh, it means that the way that I, uh, the, the way that I think could change. It means that all the ways I hate myself and all the ways that I hate everyone else. It means that those patterns of thought, and the and the lifestyle that flows out of those patterns of thought, it means they could change. It also means that that uh, that sickness isn't always going to hold me. In fact, it might it might only hold me till the end of this afternoon. And I'm not even talking about death. It means, that, it means that the powers of the age, the powers of the future could break in at any moment and change my present. That's what the resurrection means. It means that there's always, always hope. And it's not just hope for the good people, but it's hope for the really, really bad people too. It's hope that really, really bad people like me could get the poison out of their heart and become a son of God who looks just like Jesus. It's hope that, that everything that is dead could be raised up into life. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 15. He meets Mary and he says to her, Woman, why are you crying? That's a really great verse. Woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked this question because when you're standing in the presence of resurrected Jesus, tears don't make sense. It's a brand new season of hope. Like anything could change. Uh, and Jesus, when, he's, when he started his ministry, he quotes Isaiah 61. You guys know this, right? The Spirit of the Lord is on me. What? To set captives free and open blind eyes? But then it goes on a little bit later in that same verse, and it says, and he's going to give us what? Beauty for ashes, right? And joy for mourning. Yeah. So it's actually today is, is the day that we celebrate, that we always have hope, that there's always a potential to carry our ashes to the Lord and to receive beauty from them. See, that's who the Lord is. He's the kind of person who can take the most dead, burn-up, ashen, useless thing and make something really beautiful out of it. That's who the Lord is. We, there's always hope because Jesus was resurrected that we could take the ugliest, most destroyed part of our life, the ugliest, most destroyed part of our family to the Lord, and He could touch it in a moment and completely change it forever. We could take, we could take the most ridiculous bitterness, like the kind of bitterness that literally... Uh, causes us to just just coil up with, with arthritis, the kind of hatred that literally mangles a body. I've seen this in people. And in one moment with Jesus, have all of that changed forever. There's that kind of hope in Jesus. There's that kind of hope in the resurrection. And there's also the kind of hope in the resurrection that says that depression isn't the final word in this world. Like, we're, we're a Prozac society. We, we, we are a medicated people. 
You know, we, we are just medicated out of our minds. And I'm not beating up on, on the drugs. If you need the drugs for a while, take the drugs. Like Jesus ain't falling off his throne. But the good news is, but the good news is this, is that because Jesus was resurrected, hopelessness and despair and depression aren't the final word. He intends to give us the oil of joy for mourning. He, he, he intends to put upon us the garments of praise. That's what it says in, Psalm, in Isaiah 61. He, gave, he gives us garments of praise for heaviness. You know, one of the ways that we get out of, out of despair and depression and anxiety is worship. When you put on worship, it's a garment that literally, it's an outside garment that changes who you are on the inside. That's why the, the 45 minutes that we worship here, it's powerful therapy. Change your life forever. It's worth as much as the $200 session. I'm not beating up on the $200 session. I'm just saying if you're doing the $200 session and you're not doing the free 45-minute session that we do here every week, you're cheating yourself. There's a garment of praise he'd like to put on you. It could change. It's, it's an external thing that could change your insides forever. You might be thinking, well, that's just my temperament. I'm just a sad and depressed person. No, you're not. You're really not. And the reason you're not is because Jesus was resurrected. Like if the story stopped at Friday, if the story stopped at Saturday, then we could all give ourselves to depression and hopelessness and say, that's who I am, that's who we are, and that's God's plan. But that's not who we are, that isn't God's plan, and so I'm no longer satisfied with depression, anxiety, hopelessness, and despair. Jesus' resurrection also shows us that God, God would rather rebuild, renew, and remodel than annihilate. God would rather rebuild, renew, and remodel than annihilate. See, you, you realize that it would be easier for God to just say, people have really messed things up. They made me angry. It doesn't work. I tried my best. And now I'm just going to send a fireball out of heaven. I'm going to burn up the whole planet. And I'm either going to do nothing or perhaps I'll start over again with some brand new people. But that's not what God did at all. He has such a great love for people and he has such a great love for his plan and his creation that he would rather take the time and he would rather spend the blood of his son to rebuild, renew, and remodel than he would to annihilate anybody in the room. See, a lot of us have a picture that God is unmerciful and that he gets kicks out of burning people up and sending them to hell. He gets no kicks out of that. He doesn't, annihilation is not a part of his A plan at all. He'd rather rebuild, renew, and remodel. And in the resurrection, in the resurrection of Jesus, we also see that, that Jesus has once and for all defeated death, and he's become the master of life. Jesus has become the master of life. See, God is so full of life that when he speaks words, the words that he speaks are all, they all grow life. So there was this time in history, if we can, it's not even the right way to talk about it, but it's the only way that we can talk about it and understand even close to what I'm getting at. There was a time in history when no one who's sitting here was here. And not only that, but the ground that we're standing on wasn't here. It was just God. It was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect harmony and, and perfect fellowship with one another. And there was nothing else. And, and, and God, had, God had dreamed a dream, and, and his dream was about everyone who's sitting here, and his dream was about the ground beneath our feet. He, he just so loved. 
And out of this dream, he began to speak things. And the things, he's, he's so full of life that when he speaks his dreams, they become realities and they, and they become living things. God never makes anything dead. God, think about it. God never makes anything dead. He never makes a truly inanimate object. He only makes alive things. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that Jesus is the master of life. Not only is, is God the kind of God who is so full of life that his very words create living realities, but Jesus is the only person in all of history to face death, to take death on completely in his body and by himself. And God raised him up. And when God raised him up, Jesus became the conqueror and the master of death. Jesus owns death. No one else owns death. Jesus completely owns death. And so in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that God is life and that Jesus is the master of life. He thoroughly, 100%, rules over death and everything that death brings with it. Every subcategory of what death is, Jesus completely and totally rules. So what's the point? Well, the point is this. If you would like to have life, you have to come to Jesus. Like if you want to live and be really alive, you have to come to Jesus. If we spend our time, if we waste our time going to anyone else other than Jesus, we will only get death. And one of the things I'm convinced of this morning is that Jesus would like to raise us all up with life. And I'm not talking about an apocalyptic end of the age moment. Praise God for the apocalyptic end of the age moment, you know? Praise Him. But I'm actually talking about today. Like one of the things that God would like to do today is He would like, he would like to breathe resurrection life on every single person here. And He would like... He would like to release to us the life that can only come from Him. You know, some of us are really, really tired, and the reason we're really tired is because we have literally knocked ourselves out looking for that next thing. We've knocked ourselves out, and we've just completely worn ourselves out, and we've fatigued ourselves looking for life in every place other than Jesus. There is no life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you can't smoke life. And you can't drink life. And you can't take a life pill. Some of those things dull the pain, but they don't bring you into life. You can't read a life book. You can't get life advice. Life is a person. Life is Jesus. If you want to have contact with life, you have to come to Jesus. So if you want to this morning, why don't you stand up? I feel like the Lord wants to turn his life upon us. Hannah, you and the band, why don't you come on up?
Yeah, Jesus is the master of life. It's impossible to come into contact with, with that freeing life in any other way than coming to Jesus. And, and the other thing I want to say is this, is, is that God isn't angry. He's really, really, really not angry. He's actually really, really happy. He's actually thrilled to death. The truth about the Father is, is that he's punch drunk with happiness. So here's what I want to do this morning as the, as the band's playing. I want, to, uh, I want to invite everyone in the room who needs life um, to come forward. We'll have, we'll have a ministry team, but it, this, is a mo- this is a morning and a moment to just receive the life of Jesus. Um, some of you are thinking, well, you know, I've already done that. I did it in 1978. I prayed the prayer, and, and, I, and I got the life of Jesus. Well, yeah, but one of the things I've learned about, about that whole format is that the older I get, the more I realize, wow, I could really use some more of the life of Jesus. Like, like the wiser I get in the Father, the thing I realize is that there are still yet areas of my life that are hidden, that I've hidden from Him and that remain yet dead. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so if, 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 you're, if you're just in need this morning of a life infusion, if you're in need of a blood infusion this morning, if you'd like to trade your, uh, your still somewhat dead blood for the very living and precious blood of Jesus, I just want to invite you this morning as I pray. Uh, some people in the room have possibly never, ever in your entire life handed your life over and surrendered to Jesus. And, and the thing I want to tell you this morning is, again, there is no life apart from Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures, one of the first ones I, I memorized when I was a kid was... Uh, Romans 5.8 it says that God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us it's just it's the abundant overflowing love of Jesus like even in your most wrecked condition the father's thoughts and intentions toward you were good and living and he, he wants to impart life so after I pray this morning if you need if you need life if you need Jesus for the first time if you need Jesus for the 19th time it's good and you should come So, Father, this morning, we're just here and we need you. And we say, God, we we invite the life that can only come from you to infuse us today. Father, I ask in, in your name that you would release the very life that raised Jesus from the dead into the room right now. Father, I ask that you would raise all of our all of our lives up this morning with resurrection power. God, we invite you into dark closets and we invite you into dark corners. Father, we invite you into our addictions. God, we invite you into our bitternesses and we invite you into our hatreds. God, we invite you into our proclivities. God, we invite you into all of our quote-unquote natural leanings, God. All, especially every, every natural leaning that has only brought us into contact with death and suffering. God, we invite you into the things that we just can't talk about. And Father, we ask that you would release us this morning with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead forever and ever. Amen.